I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. We will get to our text in a few moments. The title of the message, and I'll mention again in a moment, is The Battle for Your Mind. And this is why I wanted our young people close. I'll say more about that in a moment. We all have battles. Some of our battles are frivolous. I heard about a man that was on a diet. And driving to work, he saw the donut shop. And he got to thinking how good a donut and a cup of coffee would be. But he, <laughs> amen. And he got to thinking, well, you know, I'll only do this if I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. And I'll only stop at the donut shop if there's a parking place right in front of the building. And sure enough, after seven times around the block, there was a parking place right in front of the building. I think that's the way we do God's will sometimes, isn't it? You know. I have asked our young people, especially our teenagers, to sit close to the front this morning because so much of this message is going to be directed toward you. I'm not going to leave the adults out, but I do know by sitting closer, maybe you'll pay a little closer attention than normal, not saying that you don't pay attention other times. You'll be less tempted to let your mind drift, hopefully, and I want your mind on the message this morning. I want everybody's mind on the message this morning. I mean, I wouldn't mind if this was a habit every Sunday morning, but, you know, I'll take what I can get. This message began to be on my heart Tuesday morning, and I just sat down and I started typing and studying and reading and preparing because this is, oh, so important a message. Now, as I said, I'm not going to leave the adults out. This is just as vital to the adults as it is to each young person here. But hopefully after we've lived the years that we've lived, we've learned a few things. Hopefully, okay. And hopefully that having learned those things, we have learned how to make good decisions, godly decisions for our lives and for those who are involved in our lives. As I said, the title of this message is The Battle for Your Mind. You older teens are coming to the point in your life Well, you're going to start getting to make most of your decisions, if not all of your decisions. You know, things like where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, who I'm going to do it with, what I want to listen to, what I want to watch. You didn't get to make those decisions when you were a lot younger, when you were little. Mom and dad made all the decisions for you, when to go to bed, when to get up, whether to brush your teeth or not, whether to take a bath or not. Usually do take a bath, you know. But they made all of those decisions. But now you're reaching the point in life you get to make the decisions, You get to determine what you are going to do. And like I said, hopefully we who are older have reached that point where we can make some good decisions. But as you get to that age where you make your own decisions, I want you to understand that every decision has consequences. Whatever you decide, whatever you do, it has consequences. Those consequences may be good, they may be bad. But there are consequences. I want to share a story with you this morning. This is a true story. It's a true story about a young lady that I pastored at one time. And I want to remind you as you listen to this story, life is made up of decisions and decisions have consequences. This took place a few years ago. It was in the news. You may have read it. You may have heard about it. You may have seen it. This was after I was this young lady's pastor. But, you know, I still cared about her and her family. She was a sweet 
young lady, teenage girl, 17 years old. Her mother was a loving mother, godly mother, cared about her daughter. There was a girl in the area who was having a birthday party. And she invited all of the kids to her birthday party. Now, I don't know whether this girl knew this or not. I certainly believe if her mother had known it and known that she intended to go, her mother would have said, no, don't go. Alcohol was being served at this party. And for whatever reason, this young girl went. And no, this is not going to be a story about, you know, driving under the influence. Something a lot more tragic happened. As guests showed up at the party, and for whatever reason, and we don't know the reason, I don't guess, the mother of the girl who was having the birthday was running around the house, walking around the house with a loaded, high-powered, automatic weapon, a rifle. And at some point, the rifle discharged, and the bullet went straight through this girl's chest, out her back, and hit someone else. And obviously, you know that this young girl died almost instantly. I said she was a sweet girl. I think she uh, was a good Christian girl, but she made a decision. And whether she knew that alcohol was going to be at that party or not, again, I don't know. But she made the decision to attend that party. I don't know if it was the best decision. If she knew that alcohol was going to be there, it wasn't the best decision. Her decision cost her her life. Be careful where you go. Be careful who you go with, and young people, be careful with the decisions that you make. Amen. We all make decisions. You know where our decisions come from? They come from our desires. I jokingly mentioned LSU and Arkansas. You just decided, for whatever reason, to wear competing shirts today. <laughs> but apparently that was your desire to wear that today, and you did it. Well, where do decisions come from? Folks, decisions come from our minds. And there is a battle going on right now. Even as this message is being preached, there's a battle going on for your mind. There is an all-out war going on inside of each and every one of us. Not just these young people, but each and every one of us. There is an all-out war going on inside of us for the control of our minds. Listen to Galatians chapter 5 verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. There's the battle. You see the battle right there? There's one side of you. You've all made professions of faith. I pray that you are saved, truly saved. I can't know that. Only you and God know that for sure. But I pray that you're truly saved and if you are, there is a battle going on right now inside of you. Do I want to listen to this old preacher or do I want to think about something else? Do I want to pay attention to the Word of God or do I want to think about what I'm going to do after church is over? When you get to school tomorrow, who am, I, who am I going to see? What am I going to do? There's a battle going on. The Spirit talks about the Holy Spirit. The flesh talks about that unsaved part of us. And if you trace that word lusteth back a little ways, it has the idea of attempting to slaughter or kill. You know what that's saying? Your flesh wants to kill the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Your flesh wants to say to the Holy Spirit, leave me alone, don't bother me, I don't want to listen to this, I want to do my own thing, and I want to live my own life. Let me tell you something, you can offend the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The word grieve has the idea of distressing someone. It has the idea of making someone sad. And the word of God says, do not grieve, do not distress the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe. I believe it's possible that the scripture also says don't offend the Holy Spirit. I mean, over in the book of 1 Thessalonians, it tells us that, we're not to quench the Spirit. That the idea of that is throwing water on a fire. I believe you can quench the Holy Spirit long enough that it will grieve the Holy Spirit and that eventually He'll say, okay, bud, you want to live your life without me guiding you? You just try it for a while. And when you try it for a while, you may well be crying out, God, where are you? God, why are these things happening in my life? And by the same token, the Holy Spirit seeks to put the flesh... The desires of our flesh out of business. And the battleground is our minds. Do you realize why control of your mind is so important? See, your mind will determine how you live. Your mind will determine whether you live. It's not your body. Your body can't do anything without your Unless my mind says lift your right arm, my right arm won't lift. And so it's in our mind that decisions are made. It's our mind that we decide how we're going to live. By the way, you know why advertisements are directed toward your mind? Because they can get you to do things. Buy our product. Don't be left out. Get in on this deal now. Now when I was growing up, it was this way. Be the first one on your block to own one. Anybody else ever hear that growing up? And it's all about competition. It's all about appealing to the pride and the ego of the individual. You may not have thought of this, but your mind and your brain are different. Science can't quite figure this out. But your mind and your brain are different. It's sort of like the piano and the pianist. Sister Karen can make beautiful music on that piano. If I sit down at it, you know what it's going to be? One finger, one note, you know, just... And that's what it's going to be. See, that piano has the capacity for music. But until someone who knows how to play it and play it well sits down at it and just goes to work on it, it just sits there silently. Your brain has the capacity to think. But it is your mind that does the thinking. Sometimes the mind is referred to as the heart. With a heart man believeth unto righteousness and it's with your mind that you determine either I'm going to be a faithful child of God and I'm going to serve Christ or you determine no I'm not going to serve the Lord I'm not going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ Romans 7 25 the apostle Paul said so then with thy mind I myself serve the law of God I want to serve God I want to be what God wants me to be and maybe every one of us who were saved would say that. I want to, I hope we would, by the way, would say, I want to be what God wants me to be. Sometimes I just can't figure out how to make my body do it, right? But in my mind, I want to be what God wants me to be. Romans seven twenty three. he said, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. The battle. My mind wants to do this. 
My heart for God, for Jesus wants to do this. And then that other part of me that's not saved says, no, you don't want to do that. Somebody will laugh at you. Somebody will make fun of you. Somebody will ridicule you. So you don't want to do that. And the battle goes on. You know what Paul finally cries out? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But he gives the answer in verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who will deliver you from that kind of situation, that mind that wants to rule over the Lord Jesus. Do you realize, for all of us, but especially for these young people, do you realize that when you were saved, you were given the mind of Christ? When you were saved, you were given the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, But we have the mind of Christ. Think about this. Every one of us has the capacity to think like Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Every one of us has the capacity to think like Jesus Christ. Several years ago, the little phrase or the letters WWJD were popular. What would Jesus do? WWJD, people wore wristbands. WWJD, what would Jesus do? I always thought, well, he wouldn't pay $4 for a wristband like that. <laughs> what would Jesus do? See, those of us who are saved can answer that question. We have the mind of Christ. Amen. What would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus react in this situation? I don't know how a lost person, if he were to ever ask that question, could rightfully answer that question because a lost person doesn't have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Young people, older teenagers especially, and adults, the devil wants your mind. The devil wants your mind. And he wants my mind. You know, if the devil can get the pastor's mind, he can lead a whole church into error or he can destroy it either way so the devil wants your mind the devil wants my mind in fact he wants the minds of as many as God's children as he can get and he's getting a whole lot of them today Amen. whole lot of God's people who are thinking like the world thinking like the flesh living for the world and for the flesh just because you are born again does not mean the battle's over for you Amen. in fact when you were saved the battle just started 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read our text now. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The first thing I want to note from those verses is the warfare of the foe. The warfare of the foe. The devil wants your mind. What opposition is made against the gospel and against God's people by the powers of sin and Satan in the hearts of men? Well, there's ignorance, prejudices, lusts, vain imaginations, carnal or fleshly reasonings, proud thoughts. I'm better than they are, right? Conceits. Those are all Satan's strongholds in the hearts and in the minds of men exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. These are the things that keep you from saying, I want to learn more about God. I want to learn more about the Bible. I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to live for Him. 
Because all of that is in the flesh. And by these things, the devil attempts or endeavors to keep people from knowing Jesus Christ as Savior, first of all, and tries to keep the saved from faithfully serving the Lord. Look over to 2 Corinthians 11. We're in chapter 10. Look to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 for just a moment. Listen to what it says. But I fear, the apostle Paul said, and I said I always have a problem with Paul and fear. But there's some things he feared. I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Satan is subtle. That word subtle means that he's full of trickery. He's full of guile. He will promise you the world and he'll pay off in counterfeit money every time. He said, I'm, I'm afraid that as he beguiled Eve. The idea is that he's completely seduced Eve. He led her astray. He led her to thinking. What did he say to her? Well, has God said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, he's saying God doesn't want you to have any fun. God's a cosmic killjoy. He's making all these accusations against God. Well, that wasn't true. But that's Satan. He's a liar. The scripture says, and the father of lies. He beguiled Eve and Paul says, I'm afraid that your mind should be corrupted, that your mind should be spoiled, that your mind should be ruined, depraved by immoral influences, by the influence of the devil, that they should be depraved and taken away from the simplicity. And that word simplicity means purity there, the singleness of heart, that your mind should be taken away from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm afraid that the devil's going to seduce some of you. And I am. Okay? I care about you. I'm afraid the devil's going to seduce some of you and corrupt you. That word corrupt means to cause, to wither, to ruin, to destroy. And move you away from the purity and the single-mindedness that is in Jesus Christ. Paul said, I fear. Listen, I say, I fear. I fear for our young people. I fear for this church, for every member of this church, folks. And you know what Paul's doing here in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians? He is taking the position of a loving father over this church. He says, I have godly jealousy over you. Now, there's some jealousy that's bad. When you're jealous because somebody had something good happen to them, or you're jealous because of, Something else that's going on. That's bad. But God says, I have a godly jealousy. Paul says, I have a godly jealousy. Now, godly jealousy wants to protect people they love. A loving father wants to bring his daughter to the marriage altar, a virgin. And wants her to marry a virgin boy and remain pure right up until the point that they become one as husband and wife. That's what a loving father wants for his daughter, even for his son. And that's what Paul wanted for the church at Corinth. And that's what your pastor wants for this church. That we would be a chaste or a pure virgin to Christ. He said, I've espoused you that I may present you as a chaste or as a pure virgin. Now the espousal was, we were talking about that in Sunday school. Joseph was espoused to Mary. They weren't married. But the espousal was a little bit higher than an engagement. She had been promised to him and he was going to marry her. And Paul says, I have espoused you. This church, the members of this church are espoused to Christ. We belong to Him. We're not the bride of Christ yet, but we have been espoused to Christ. 
Let me tell you the story of Mr. Betts. Mr. Betts owned a music store. This was in England. And a man, old man, a poor man, sort of ragged clothing y'all, came into Mr. Betts' music store one day, and he said, I want to sell you my violin. Mr. Betts said, I got plenty of violins. I don't need another violin. And the man said, I just want some money to buy some food. I want to sell you my violin. And Mr. Betts paid, now it wasn't $5 in England, but it paid the equivalent of what would be $5 here for that violin. And being a musician, Mr. Betts, after the man left, picked this violin up and began to play, and beautiful, sweet music started coming out of this violin. So Mr. Betts got him a light, and he looked up in the violin, and he saw those words, Antonio Stradivarius. He had bought a Stradivarius. If you know anything about violins, that's not just the Cadillac. That's the Jaguar. That's, I don't know how high you want to go. A violin. Rolls Royce of violins. He bought it for $5. Now, Mr. Betts was an honest man, and he tried to find this man. Never could find him. Eventually, he sold this violin for $5,000, and today it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I tell you what, we have young people... And adults today selling out for a whole lot less than $5. Why? Because the devil's got in their mind. When we make our bodies the dirty plaything for someone, and for you young people, rather than saving yourself for the one you intend to marry, you're selling out for a whole lot less than $5. We live in a world that has gone wild in the thought life. And do you realize that God destroyed a generation, wiped out a whole generation for that very thing? Listen to Genesis chapter 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. God said, I'm going to wipe him out because... Of the thought life. They thought it. They imagined it. They did it. And so God says that's it. And we know that the flood came. And that only Noah and his family survived the flood. The National Education Association. Estimates that many of the 5,000 teenage suicides per year. Are rooted in the depression that comes from the music they listen to. And you see young people walking around with the earbuds in their ears listening. Listen, what goes in has an effect. The devil wants your mind. Understand that. But I tell you what else. God wants your mind. God wants your mind. Let me tell you about some things about God and your mind. God communicates with you through your mind. You know that? You read the Word of God, you hear a message from the Word of God, God communicates with you through your mind. We're going to read these verses, Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. See, most of the world walking in vanity. Empty-mindedness. There's no guide, there's no... Way for, that they understand to go. Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling. 
I tell you what, when you get past feeling, you're in bad shape. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Listen to verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. You profess to be saved. You had not learned Christ the way the world acts, the way the world lives. If so be that you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And listen, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Where do you do it? In your mind. Your mind, your heart. They're sort of simultaneous are, are they're the same thing many times in the scripture as we talk about making decisions. In your mind, in your heart, make a decision. I am going to live for Christ. There are people who want to talk about emotions. And today there are people who want to be in an emotional worship service. But do you realize that your emotions are the shallowest part of your being? You be in a service where the Word of God is preached and where the Word of God is taught and put into our minds. God communicates with you through your mind. God changes our minds. You know that God changes our mind. Look back to verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 12, 2 tells us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. That word renew means renovation. Tear out the old, put in the new. Get rid of the kind of thinking that the world does and get into thinking like God. You have the mind of Christ. Start thinking like God. Be renewed in by the renewing of our minds. God changes us through our minds. God controls us through our minds. The Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, speaks to our minds. Listen to Romans 8, 5. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You start thinking with the flesh. You start thinking with your carnal mind. You're not going to think godly thoughts. Your mind, if you're giving it over to the flesh and to the way of the flesh and the thinking of the flesh. And I'm sorry, I've been a young person too. Been there. We want to do because we'll be accepted what our friends do. That's why it's important to have saved friends. That's why it's important to have godly friends. You start following the crowd. I think I put something on Facebook this week as Vince Havner quote something to the effect of nobody that's truly a Christian can be a part of the crowd. Because the crowd's not following Christ. We are a minority. I understand that. The world looks at us as weird, as strange, as oddballs because we listen to Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're to have the mind of Christ. We're to let God control us through our minds. And listen, what you put in your mind matters. What you put in your mind matters. In the book of Proverbs, the scripture says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you fill your mind with. The way you think. That's what you are. That's what you become. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Jesus said, Out of the heart, that's the mind, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, that's in, you. That's in the flesh. Just go over and read Galatians chapter 5 if you don't believe that. All of those things that are listed there. 
lasciviousness, lust, uh, murder, uh, revelings, and that sort of thing, they're all in our flesh. And when those things start coming out of the mouth, we're just revealing what's in our heart. They should never come out of the mouth of a child of God. Philippians, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse, tells us what we're to think on. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Instead of filling our minds with the garbage of the world... What are we filling our minds with the Word of God and the thoughts of Christ and, and Christ-likeness and godliness? Those are the things we should fill our minds with. Prefer those things, as I said, to the garbage of the world. Are you familiar? Anybody familiar with G-I-G-O? Not G.I. Joe, okay? G-I-G-O. Anybody familiar with that? It's a computer term, at least it was years ago. Garbage in, garbage out. You put garbage into a computer, you know what you're going to get out of it? Garbage. You put garbage in your minds, you know what you're going to get out of your minds? Garbage. And it's going to be the devil's garbage. That's what you're going to get. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you put into your mind. Because he talks about here in 2 Corinthians 10.3 about the weakness of the flesh. As far as this battle for the mind is concerned. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. He says, your flesh does not have what it takes to have the right thought processes. People say, trust your heart. No. Because the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't trust your heart. Now, we have to live in this world in the flesh. I heard a preacher telling about that and talking about he was at the grocery store one day and a woman saw him. She said, oh, preacher, you have to buy groceries? He said, yeah, I sure do. He said, I even have to take the garbage can out to the curb in the rain. You know, <laughs> We live in the flesh. We have to do some things in the flesh. I had a woman tell me one time we'd gotten into a big discussion and, you know, I told her, yeah, I'm, I'm human you know, and, and I would like to have a, a nice house and I would like to have, you know, some, some comfort, financial comfort just a little bit. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to be a multimillionaire or anything, but just some financial. She said, oh, but you're a pastor. You shouldn't think about those things. I'm sorry. I mean, the electric company doesn't send me a notice and say, we've paid your bill because you're a preacher. You know. Or here, move into this mansion because you're a preacher you know my mansion's not here it's in heaven all right no we we live in the flesh but we don't fight with the flesh because we don't fight against flesh and blood ephesians chapter 6 I'll tell you where our battle is. Beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the devices. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Our battle is not with the Republicans, it's not with the Democrats, it's not with the Independents, it's not with Washington, D.C., it's not with the guy who sells alcohol or the guy who sells drugs. Our battle is on a higher level than that. Amen. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay? 
Our battle is with Satan himself. And you can't win that battle operating in the flesh. And this battle will not be won by education. I'm not against education. I'm just going to look you all in the face and tell you, I think you ought to be the best student you can be and make the best grades you can be. You go to college, some ungodly professor starts trying to teach you the theory of evolution. You learn just enough from that to give it back on a test. And once you've given it back on a test, forget it. It's garbage. God created the heaven and the earth. I'm not against education. I'm tired of God's people being accused of being ignorant, slow-minded, and those sorts of things. I thank God for the education that I had. But I try in that education to glorify God. To use it in a way that will lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And you take a sinner and you educate him. You know what you got? You got an educated sinner. That's what you got. He just knows how to sin better. And that's what we have in our world. And in many places running our world today is educated sinners. Legislation's not the answer. You can't control the thought process with legislation. We have hate crimes now. Well, I sure hope the guy that kills me doesn't hate me, you know. No. We have hate crimes. Well, that hadn't stopped any of the killing, has it? It just gave them something else to charge people with. An environment is not the answer. Say, oh, give people a better environment? They'll think better. They'll act better. Where did Adam and Eve fall? In a perfect environment. Why? How? Because the devil messed with their minds. The devil got Eve to sin and she got Adam to sin. Now this is not a true story, but I heard this about a mental institution to see when people were ready to be released. And what they would do is they would just fill a sink with water till it overflowed onto the floor and they'd leave the water running and they'd give the person a mop and say, here, clean this up. And if they started mopping without turning the water off, they weren't ready to be released. But do you know that's what we're doing in our world today? We're trying to mop up the floor and the water's still running. It's still overflowing. No, our flesh is weak. Our flesh can't fight this battle. Look at what he says about the weapons of our fight. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold talked about a, a fortress. It talked about a castle. And he said we're mighty to the... Mighty talked about powerful. And in fact, I put on the definition of that word, I put the Greek word up there so you'd see it. It's the word from which we get our word dynamite. Our weapons are powerful. Our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Here's what he, in essence, is saying. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds. To pull down, if you will, castles of fleshly reasoning. To destroy false arguments. We demolish every computation and conceited reasoning that keeps people from knowing God. And you can do that with the Word of God. You know, we've got this can- cancel I almost called it a cancer culture. I think it is. But cancel culture in America today. I said yesterday, I wonder what they're going to do with Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter where you're from. Jesus Christ loves you. And He wants you to be saved. Now try and cancel that. You can't. It is scripture. 
We capture rebellious thoughts, perceptions, ideas, purposes, and we bring them into submission to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you some very quick thoughts, young people and adults, about how to have the kind of mind that we ought to have. About how to win this battle for the mind. And then we'll be through. Number one, fill your mind with the Word of God. Fill your mind with the Word of God. When I was in seminary, we had a class called evangelism. And one of the things that we had to do every week, every week we had at least four different verses of Scripture that we had to memorize. We had to write down and even get the punctuation correct in writing it down. But you know what it's done? It's helped me to remember Scripture. Try just to help you remember a verse of Scripture. Write it down a few times. I tell you what, you'll learn, you'll remember it. But fill your mind with the Word of God. Do you realize that God has created us in such a way that we can't think two thoughts at the same time? You can't have the thoughts of the Word of God in your mind and have the thoughts of the devil in your mind at the same time. One's going to cancel out the other. And if you just fill your mind with thoughts of God and God's Word, see, just train your brain. That's all I'm saying. Train your brain to be filled with the Word of God. Number two, avoid bad influences. Fill your life with godly influences. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. One idea of that verse is this, bad company corrupts good character. You know, there's an old saying, at least I heard it growing up, you're known by the company you keep. You run around with a bunch of thieves and criminals and People like that, you know what everybody's going to think about you? Well, you're just one of them. You're just as bad as they are. But now as a child of God, if you don't run around with people like that, if you surround yourself with people who are godly and influenced by the Word of God and godliness, then you'll have a different reputation. We're known by the company that we keep. Proverbs 22 verse 10 says this, Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out, yea, strife and reproach shall cease. You know how to get rid of reproach and strife and all of that in your life? Just say to the scorners, to say to those who don't want to know Christ, who don't want to live for Christ, I don't have time for you. I'll witness to you, I'll tell you how to be saved, but we can't hang out. Get rid of the scorning, get rid of the scorners, the Word of God says. And then remember these few things. Number one, the sovereignty of our commander. The so We're in a battle. We have a commander and his name is Jesus. The sovereignty of our commander. You look at chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians verse 7. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we in this world. Jesus Christ is to rule your life. He's to rule my life. People say, well, it's my life. I'll do what I want to do. No, you won't. It's not your life. If you're saved, you're bought with a price. And that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have a right as children of God to say, well, it's my life. I'll live like I want to live. We belong to Christ is what that verse is saying. And do this, because I've said this, I think, before when we've been going places with our young people. Remember whose you are. And remember who you represent, but I tell you what, the same is true at school tomorrow. Remember who you belong to, and remember who you represent. If you've tried to witness to any of your classmates, if you've told them, hey, I was saved and baptized, and I'm a member of Bethel Church, guess what? 
they remember that. For us adults, people we've talked to, they remember that we've talked to them about the Lord. So remember the sovereignty of our commander. Remember the certainty of courage. Philippians chapter 4. Oh, I love these these beautiful verses here in Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 11, listen to this. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and be hungry and both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But look at what he says. He says first of all in verse 11, I have learned. He said, I've learned some things. You need to learn some things. You need to learn what God expects of you. You need to learn what God can do with you. What can God can do for you. Then he says in verse 12, not only I have learned, but he says, I know. See, the only way we know something is to learn it. And Paul said, I have learned. And now it's not just a thought with me. It is a knowledge. It is a certainty. I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I have learned. I know. And what does he say in verse 13? I can do. When you learn it and you know it, and I don't just mean know it up here, I mean know it here in your heart where it's a part of you. When you learn it and you know it, then you can do it. And then finally, the surety of our victory. The surety of our victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Listen to verse 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to have victory, and that is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And then over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Victory. We all want victory. Two of our young ladies, or one of them, I don't know whether it's both of them or not, had victory the other day. We've got a high jump champion in here. She won first place. The school won the track meet. Victory is sweet, isn't it? Don't you love to win? I've told you before, I hate to lose. I love to win. I hate to lose. All right? Victory is sweet. Well, you want true victory? You want the victory that counts? See, what will happen, the memories and the thoughts of the victory the other day will eventually fade. You'll have a ribbon or medal or something. But there's one victory, the thought of it will never fade away. And that is the victory that we have in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with one verse of Scripture. It involves the verses I mentioned just a few moments ago. How do you guard your mind and protect your life for Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13. Wherefore? Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. That'll cover your heart. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, those were hobnail shoes and 
sort of like cleats, you know, you could dig in with those and not be moved. Get the Word of God in your mind and in your heart so you won't be moved. Above all, taking the shield of faith. You need faith. Because one day it'll get dark. I mean, darker than it is now. I'm not talking about outside light or the lights in this building. I'm talking about spiritual. Folks, it's getting spiritually darker and darker and darker every day in this world and in this nation. And when it gets dark, you know what you need? You need faith. I can walk through our house with the lights out unless Joni changes the furniture around. Because I have faith it's going to be right where it was, you know. I sort of, but you need faith. And you know what you're able to do? You know what the shield was? It was a metal shield, but it had some kind of covering on the front of it. So when the, the arrows and the darts would come in, they'd stick in that. And they were usually flaming. And they'd hit that and they'd just burn out. And you were saved from injury. The shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You need your head protected. Take the helmet of salvation. And the only offensive weapon we have, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need the Word of God. So he tells you how to dress up for the battle. And we're going to go through this battle every day. It's a battle every day. Am I going to live for Christ today? Or am I going to give today to the world? To the flesh and to the devil. Every one of us, not just these young people. You know, they probably get hit more with more garbage at school. I'm not downing school, by the way. But probably get hit with more of it than you and I do on a daily basis. But you can get all dressed up in this armor and you can never go to battle. Because verse 18 here in Ephesians 6 is the battle. Praying always. Praying how often? The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Does that mean, preacher, I've got to be down on my knees all the time? I've got that song in my head, by the way. Can't get it out way down on my knees. Praying to my Lord every day. You familiar with that song? Oh, Satan tried to tell me the Bible was a lie. That Jesus did not care that I would die. So I got way down on my knees. <laughs> and I prayed to my Lord. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. And that's what you need to be doing. Start your school day. Start your work day. Start your every day, whatever you do, out with prayer. End it with prayer. Just infuse some prayer into it in the middle of it. Pray without ceasing. Be in constant attitude of prayer so you can go to the Lord at a moment's notice. I told you, walking through Walmart, sometimes I just say, something comes up, I say, Lord, I can't handle this, you got it. And I'll actually literally turn because I know he's there beside me. There's a battle for my mind and for your mind. Oh, Satan would love to get the mind of these young people. See, this is not the church of tomorrow. This is the church of right now. Amen. Because their training's going on right now. Amen. Somebody suggested, and I think it's a good idea, some of our young men would like to be ushers and take up the offering one Sunday a month. That's fantastic. Go ahead and do it. I have no problem with it. Because they need to be trained because you and I are not going to be here forever. Amen. And somebody has to know this word to carry on what God has started in this church. Or it will do like so many others and it will fall and just be a memory. Just pray that God will 
strengthen our young people. Make them want to hear the Word of God. Make them want to learn to grow and to develop and be the leaders God wants them to be in the days to come.